Ryan Hickey in for ZG on this Thursday. Welcome. I appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday right here. Hopefully it's been a good one. Hopefully it has been a good one. And if not, well, we'll hopefully make the next few minutes here, a few hours that you do join us right here on the Zach Gelb Show with Ronnie Hickey filling in a little bit better. Not a lot. I'm not going to overpromise you life-changing radio, but maybe just 1% better. That's what we're going to go for here. Keep the bar low and hopefully exceed uh, that low one we do set. All right. Let's talk about a little college football here. It is official just about an hour or so ago. Colorado, the Buffaloes, are leaving the Pac-12. They are going back where they came from, going to the Big 12 starting next season. Look, clearly, first and foremost, that is the Deion Sanders effect. Colorado is not of interest to the Big 12 if any other coach outside of Dion is there. The team went 1-11 last year. As an athletic program overall, they are not desirable in the sense that there's not a lot of teams there that are always good and competing that people care about. They are going back to the Big 12 for one man and one man only. Deion Sanders. So credit to Deion already before a game is even played. He is making Colorado so um, so enticing, intriguing, that the Big 12 wants him back so they now have some conference stability in going from the Pac-12 to the Big 12 next season. But here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the future now of college football. I think the next immediate move we'll see is Oregon and Washington leaving. The Pac-12 is dead. The Pac-12 has been dead since USC and UCLA last year announced they are leaving to go to the Big Ten starting in 2024. That is what killed the conference. Now Colorado leaving, it's I think it's going to signal kind of every man for themselves. Teams are going to start scrambling to get some sort of legitimate TV deal, some sort of actual you know concrete um, footing going forward here, not be under the topsy-turvy nature that right now is the Pac-12 heading into uncharted waters. So I think Oregon and Washington are by far the next two most attractive schools in the Pac-12. I think they're going to go to the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten would be foolish not to take them. They've already vetted them and, and seemingly, at least according to reports, have like in theory approved them in, in the sense that if they were to apply, um, they everything kind of checks out to what the Big 12 would want. It would also help out their right now two incoming schools to their conference in USC and UCLA by cutting down on travel and kind of forming a Big Ten West, or I guess Big Ten West Coast. We can have four teams out there, cut down the travel a little bit, not just for football, but for all sports. And again, make it a little less Midwest and East heavy like the Big Ten is. So it helps kind of USC and UCLA with the travel load, kind of help ease their transition a little bit. But I want to talk even bigger than that. Because there's a lot of shuffling going on. There's a lot of movement, I think, still to come. But I want to talk about the end game. Chris has doing a great job producing. Chris, you're a big college football fan. I want to throw an idea by you here and get your reaction. Um, again, as a big football fan, you think where this is going to head. We're going to see teams shuffle. We're going to see teams kind of run to the conference of the best TV deal and, and run where they can get the most money. In the end, though, this is not sustainable. In the end, 20-team conferences... I don't think are the uh, are the answer. Here's where I think college football is heading, and I think it's actually heading in a really good direction. I think we're going to see a breakaway. I can't tell you when the breakaway is going to happen. Five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. But if we eventually, I think sooner rather than later, are going to see a breakaway where it's 50 schools, 
60 schools, 70 schools in Division I break away and form their own league. Call whatever you want, but basically the Power Five schools breaking away from the rest, basically the group of five in Division I, forming their own league and joining forces with teams that are all on level playing grounds. Because right now college football is... I don't want to say unsustainable, but it's inequitable because if you look at right now, the fact that we have a school like Georgia and a school like Toledo in the same league is laughable. It's stupid. How are you supposed to get anything done? How are you supposed to agree on rule changes when Georgia has one budget, Georgia has one um, set of circumstances they're looking for, and Toledo is a hundredth of that? But they're all in Division One. Even though one's in the MAC and one's in the SEC, they're all under the, the basically same blanket of Division I football. That, to me, is not sustainable. I think going forward, we're going to see a big breakaway where the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, the, if they're even called that, who knows, the Big 12. I think we'll see a breakaway. 60, 65, 70 schools form their own league. We can figure out divisions and all that afterwards but kind of all join forces as one and have a lot of the money be equal in the sense that right now teams are changing conferences strictly because of money, strictly because of TV deals. The Big 12 can offer Colorado a lot more money than the Pac-12 can. That's why Colorado is leaving and going to the Big 12. The Big 10 can offer USC and UCLA a whole hell of a lot more money than the Pac-12 can. Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC are not doing so out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing so because the SEC TV deal is too good to pass up. We now have a a gap that is growing wider and wider by the year of the haves and have-nots. That is not good for college football. I want parity in the sport. I think one of the ways you help bring parity is by trying to level the playing field as much as you can Financially, I'm not talking about NAL deals or limiting boosters or saying put his, putting a salary cap on how much players can get paid. I am not for any of that. What I am for, though, is schools, for the most part, getting equal TV deals. If ESPN is paying Georgia, let's say, $100 million a year to broadcast their games, I think in an ideal world, you'd also want Colorado getting $100 million, let's just say, or Stanford getting that money as well. Build it from at least the TV standpoint. Sell this brand new league as one TV entity and then make everything else go from there. But I think eventually, even though right now we're seeing Colorado leave and I think soon we'll see Oregon and Washington bolt the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. We'll see what other schools, I don't think any ACC school is moving because they're kind of locked in to their contract. But I think eventually, all this shuffling is going to stop and everyone's going to realize Instead of going from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, we should be going from right now current Division One college football and breaking away and forming our own league. Chris, your thoughts? 
Well, I'm going to backtrack for just half a second here, and you had brought up the ACC and how they're probably not going to fold or anything like that. I saw a report today that Florida State is supposedly looking to, they're exploring options of potentially breaking away from the ACC. And if the Pac-12 is a conference that in all likelihood is going to fold, as Bill Walton calls it, the Conference of Champions, that won't be the Conference of Champions anymore because it'll cease to exist. But I think the ACC is the one that's going to be next because you look at some of the big dogs in that conference, Clemson. Florida State, Miami. Those are your big three in that conference right there. And maybe you could throw another one in there. Maybe Duke and UNC with basketball. You can do that. But if you look at everything else, what is there? Those are the ones that run the conference for the most part. And if those teams explore leaving, the others are going to follow suit. And then all the other ACC schools are going to look to join elsewhere. And there's still a lot of moving pieces here. But what they're going to do in the long run, I can't really say, but I can definitely see them going down the avenue that you talked about. Well, here's the thing for the ACC. Florida State can look into it. Clemson's looked into it. Florida State themselves looked into it. They can't go anywhere. They're locked in. Like they're That TV deal, to the ACC's credit, is ironclad. They can't get out of it. So they're stuck. They, Florida State can try all they want to look into it. Schools have done the last year. I would be floored if they're going to pay like a billion dollars, whatever it is, to go leave, to go somewhere else. The, the the exit fee is just, at this point, untenable. But even just in general, like, again, like, I, at this point, I think what's best for college football is to break away. I don't think right now the Big Ten adding more schools and, beto- and becoming a 20-team conference or the SEC loading up and adding Clemson and Florida State and becoming a 20-team conference themselves – I just don't think it's good because eventually we're going to have two conferences, one in the Big Ten, one in the SEC, 25 schools each. At that point, what are we doing? Like, it's just At this point, I think it's better for everyone in college football and from a competitive balance perspective to form your own league. Division one, let's go. Get everyone under the same umbrella and let's start competing for a real championship with somewhat of a level playing field. I have a proposition as well. And call me crazy. Ooh. Call me crazy. I have a proposition. We go back to regional conferences. How about, oh, I don't know, something called the Southwest Conference or maybe even the Big 8 or the Pac-8. Whoa, what a concept. Let's throw it back 1960 style, please, because it's just still so weird to me that I'm going to be seeing a Big 10 patch on USC and UCLA's uniform. That is still going to be very weird for me. They're going to be in the conference for 20 years at some point later on down the road. And that's still going to be weird to me. I got good news for you if you want that, Chris. I think part of the way you get there is by breaking away. Because the Big Ten's only going to keep adding. It's, they're not obviously going to be shrinking. Same with the SEC or any other conference here. You break away and you form, I don't know, 60, 70 schools. And again, right now in college football specifically, the money is in the TV deals. Schools are going to the conferences, and the conferences are loading up on the, the schools people care about the most because that's the most ESPN and Fox and CBS are going to pay. But once you kind of break away, and if you say, hey, look, to Fox, to ESPN, to CBS, to whatever streaming platform wants to get involved as well, we got 65 schools right here under the umbrella. We are all going to be marketing them as one entity. You want in? Here's the price. I think all of a sudden now, if the TV money is equal, we can now go back to your traditional um, regional conferences. Because now the SEC, in theory, doesn't have to keep Texas and and Oklahoma because if they, in this ideal world, 
you're getting the same money no matter what, whether USC or uh, whether Texas or Oklahoma is in your division uh, conference or not, because you're again you're selling this breakaway league more than you're selling a conference. Unity, I think, is what college football needs. It is. There's been no unity for as long as the sport's been around. That's been one of the areas that I think at times makes it beautiful, but also times makes it maddening, frustrating. I really hope a breakaway happens sooner rather than later. No disrespect to Toledo. No disrespect to Western Michigan. But it's time to have the big boys play in one league together. It's time to kind of try to bring some sort of parity and some sort of equity to college football that up to this point has been severely, severely missing. So Colorado, the latest uh, team to switch conferences, they're going from the Pac-12 this season Next year, going to the Big 12 to be the 13th team in that Big 12 conference after Texas and Oklahoma do leave to go to the SEC next year. Like Chris said before, we have USC and UCLA going from the Pac-12 this year to the Big 10 next year. The all eyes should turn in terms of in the short-term future here where Oregon and Washington go. My guess, Big 10 makes sense on both sides. But it's been a lot of shuffling, a lot of moving around. I think it has to end with everyone coming together and forming one league. All right. When we do return here on the Zach Gelb Show with Ronicky filling in. <sighs> Boy. Jim saying. I'm saying this as a Colts fan. That's, that's a little bit of the sigh. Jim saying is an idiot. He's also right. I'll tell you why when we do return. It's the Zach Gelb Show with Ronicky filling in right here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to The Ryan Hickey Show. Ryan Hickey, in for Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio. Don't lie. You know you're embracing the music, whether you're in your car, at home, mowing the lawn, watching the kids, out for a walk. You don't got to lie to me, I know. As soon as that beat dropped, you're jumping on it. You're waving the invisible lasso. You're shaking those hips, maybe spinning around if you're all in it. It's impossible to hear that song and not kind of give a little one-two dance to it. Oh, love it. Maybe Chris will play the Macarena, too. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. And really break out some classic Sweet 16 dance moves right there for you. But it is Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. I am a Colts fan, full disclosure. So this topic is near and dear to my heart. Jim Mersey is an idiot. Jim Mersey is also right. The Colts right now, and really the NFL, is at a, I don't want to say in a war, but has showed you how they feel about running backs. They don't value them. Not a lot of teams want to pay running backs, and if they are going to pay them, it's for pennies on the dollar. Either get something or get nothing. But you are not getting any sort of big-time deal that obviously quarterbacks are getting. That's, that's without a doubt. But running backs, defensive backs, defensive linemen, Running backs aren't seeing any of that. I don't think that's a bad strategy. For me, I am not opposed to paying a running back. I think too many teams personally blow it out of proportion, and really these contracts are never as bad as teams and fans want to make it out to be because most of the time when a player is cut, for example, like Ezekiel Elliott or like Dalvin Cook, there's no harm done to the salary cap. You cut them and move on. The team is not hamstrung going forward. But on the whole, I can't right now argue 
that teams have been in the wrong for not paying running backs. I think it's a case-by-case basis. So Jim Irsay decided, you know what? Running backs are upset. How can I kind of put my foot to the fire here? How can I really take what is a burning fire and just make it explode? Let me get 20 uh, gallons of gasoline and pour right on. Jim Irsay last night, as running backs are very upset right now, decided to tweet this from his own verified personal Twitter account. Quotes. NFL running back situation. We have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise in good faith by both sides. To say now that a specific player category, a.k.a. running back, that's me, but back to Jim, wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling, quote-unquote, bad faith, dot, dot, dot. Look, this did not have to be said. I want the Colts to pay Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor is deserving of getting a contract extension. Jonathan Taylor also, conveniently, the day before training camp started, out of nowhere, went on the pup list. I think, to me, it's a sound protest. It's a way to hold out without without actually getting fined. That, to me, is not an accident. All of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor is physically unable to perform as he's in the last year of his deal and has been vocal in the past about getting a new contract and getting paid the money he thinks he deserves. So I'm in the camp of I would pay running backs. I'm in the camp of, specifically, I think the Colts should pay Jonathan Taylor But when Jim Mercer talks about, and this has been a discussion in terms of how to solve the running back market or lack thereof, Jim Mercer is 100% right. Any solution that's been thrown out on how to get running backs paid is stupid and impractical. You're not going to go revisit the CBA and make addendums to all of a sudden now, I don't know even how you do this, Make the running back salary not count against the salary caps. You can pay them more money and it doesn't matter because it won't impact your ability to sign other players. Give them some sort of portion or prorated or make them, you know, as soon as they're drafted, be free agents I've seen or have them have shorter contracts when they're a rookie, like three years so they get to their, you know, get to their prime faster, get on the market, I should say, when they're in their prime faster and eliminate the franchise tag. All of those are great in theory. Zero are realistic or practical. And you want to know why? The reason why zero ideas in terms of how to get running backs paid and why none are practical is because the market is telling you what is important. Teams are telling you running game, like individual running backs are not important. We are going to prioritize paying quarterbacks. We are going to invest our money in wide receivers. We're going to devote our money to slowing down these great quarterbacks and pay defensive ends, pay defensive backs. The money is in the passing game. That's why the running backs are not getting paid. They are not valued, and as we know, whether it's in our economy, in a capitalistic society, or in the NFL with the salary cap, if you have a lot of money going towards one side, You're not printing money. That means money is being taken away from another end. And it's unfortunate right now that the running backs are the ones that are being devalued. 
But it's not like in years past, it wasn't happening to quarterbacks. It wasn't happening to wide receivers. Back in the 70s, in the NFL, in the 60s, when it was mostly three yards on a cloud of dust, when running backs were the biggest deal on a team, do you think quarterbacks are still the highest paid players on their team in the 70s and 80s? They are not. Were wide receivers getting the salaries that they're getting now back in 1983? They were not. Why? They were not valued then as they are now. It's very simple. That's it. There's nothing you can do. There is literally no rule you can make to try to get running backs to get more money. That's not how the world works. And Jim Irsay, in tweeting this and kind of lambasting and almost laughing at the idea of revisiting the CBA to put, you know, clauses in there to help preserve running back salaries, he's 100% right. It's not going to happen, nor should it. The money gets paid to the players that teams value think make the most impact on a game-in, game-out basis. That's quarterback, that's receiver, that's offensive end, that's on the secondary right now. Offensive line protecting the quarterback as well. All those salaries are going up and up and up. It's not a coincidence running backs are not getting paid. Teams have moved past and have value to different positions. So running backs can have Zoom meetings. Talk show hosts can talk about solutions on how to get running backs paid. Everyone is wasting their air. You're spitting in the wind. It's right in front of you. Quarterbacks are paid. Running back, uh, excuse me, receivers are paid. Tight ends are paid. Running backs are not. So Jim Mersey shouldn't have said it. I didn't want him to say it, but he is right. There's nothing in the CBA that can be changed or should be changed. That is how it goes. The solution is unfortunately harsh, but here's the reality. If you're a running back right now and you want a solution to get more money, you got one of two avenues here. You either go in the Christian McCaffrey form where you are equal part wide receiver, equal part running back. And that's why CMC is the highest paid right now running back in the NFL. Not for his running, it's for his ability out of the backfield to catch 80 balls and go for nearly 1,000 yards. You can either add that to your skill set and be equal receiver, equal running back, or play a different position. Those are your two options. Until the NFL transitions back to 1950s, three yards on a cloud of dust, Running backs, again, are never going to be valued even the way they are today. It's only going down. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. Now, with that said, I hate Jim Mercer saying this because I want, again, I think Jonathan Taylor deserves to be paid. I think running backs is a strictly case-by-case basis. For the Colts right now, they have Anthony Richardson, fourth overall pick, very inexperienced, having one year as a starter at Florida, very up and down. I think one thing that is absolutely true in the NFL is one of the best ways to help develop your young quarterback is by putting talent around them. It's without a doubt. It's easy. It's proven. 
Look at every quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, for how great he is, came out onto a team with a Hall of Fame head coach in Andy Reid, has a future Hall of Fame wide receiver in Tyreek Hill, and a future Hall of Fame tight end in Travis Kelsey. That is what he had around him when he walked into the Chiefs in 2018 in his first year as a starter. Joe Burrow, a lot of wide receivers around him. We saw Josh Allen's development skyrocket as soon as Stephon Diggs came to town. It's no secret. It's no accident. If you have talent around you, you are going to develop faster as a young rookie quarterback compared to if you were on an island by yourself. So if you're the Colts right now, you have to look at Anthony Richardson. How can we make sure his transition is as smooth and as easy as possible? The best way to do so is by having talented players around him that take the attention away from Richardson and onto them. Jonathan Taylor still is one of those guys. Jonathan Taylor is right now the only guy on this Colts offense that can truly scare defenses. I like Michael Pittman Jr. He's been inconsistent, and right now he is not a bona fide number one wide receiver, a game-breaker type, if you will, that defenses are up late at night game planning for. Alec Pierce, decent rookie year. Is he scaring anyone? Absolutely not. Colts do not have a lot of proven tight end depth. They got no one right now outside of Jonathan Taylor that is truly elite. So even though he plays a position that is not valued, even though he is playing a position a position right now that is being ignored by most of the NFL, he is a player that I think is worth being paid. And I think the Colts should pay him. I do think the Colts will pay him. I know it's getting ugly, and you got Jim Mercer with this tweet, and you have Jonathan Taylor's agent responding to this tweet, saying it's malpractice by not paying your best player. Jim, I don't know why. This man just hates being bored. I swear, Jim Mercer must wake up every day and say, how can I start a little trouble? What can I do in order to kind of make it through the day? This guy's Twitter account needs to be taken away. Whether it's this tweet about NFL running backs, as I think his star running back is holding a quiet holdout. Whether it's tweeting videos in front of his jet plane with the engines revving up and you can't hear a word he's saying. Whether it's outing Dan Snyder. Going back to the owners' meetings and basically saying he thinks Dan Snyder, you know, they got of they have a case to remove him back in what was that October? He was the first owner on record to basically say I think we should investigate and kick Dan Snyder out of the league. This guy hates being bored and has too much time in his hands. And that was the latest I think last hour of this tweet. But at the end of the day, the Colts do have to pay him. I think they will pay him. But when it comes to the overall state of the running back, it's dead. And Jim Mercier is right. You're not going back to revisit the CBA. You're not putting in addendums or clauses in the CBA to help running backs get paid. The market tells you what you are worth. And right now, the market is paying quarterbacks. They're paying receivers. They're playing guys who slow the quarterback and receiver down. Defensive linemen and defensive backs. That is where the money is going because the NFL is a pass-first, quarterback-driven league. Until it reverts back and maybe it does because it feels like history does repeat itself a lot and time is a circle until we go back to the day where you're relying on a running back to run the ball 40 times a game and the passing game is is dead that's when running backs I think we'll see a uh, an increase in pay until that day nothing's changing nor should it 855-212-4227 855-212-4227 at Orion Underscore Hickey and the number three on Twitter if you want to get your thoughts in here. 
Jim Mersey said there's no revisit in the CBA. There's nothing he can do. The first owner on the record to basically shut down any of this, I don't want to say revolution by running backs. Running back revolution does roll off the tongue, but it's really, it's really not. It's just chatter. There's really, I think they've even acknowledged they're kind of powerless. But is there anything that can be done getting running backs paid the way they think they should be paid? 855-212-4227. Again, at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. When we return right here on the Zach Gelb Show with Ryan Hickey filling in, we got a news brief, including... If you listen to, what was it, Tuesday's show, hopefully you did, and if you, if you didn't, you saw it on social media. Zach, in solidarity with Jim Harbaugh, ate a hamburger on the air in one minute and 11 seconds. That came after the news that Jim Harbaugh is working on an NCAA suspension of four games. Well, guess what today was? Big Ten Media Days, Jim Harbaugh for the first time spoke about the suspension. You'll hear what he has to say next. You're listening to The Ryan Hickey Show. Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. Filling in for Zach Gale. Really fast here. We're going to get to news brief in a second. But we were just talking before, a little bit earlier in the show, talking about now, because of Joe Burrow's calf strain of an injury, we do have a diagnosis there. Because Jalen Ramsey got hurt and may miss the beginning of the season, could be out four to six weeks with a knee injury. He's going to need surgery. One head coach texted Adam Schefter saying the offseason needs to be reshuffled, revamped. I don't know what could be done to prevent soft tissue and just freak uh, injuries from happening. Sometimes it's okay just to say injuries happen and move on from there. Michael, though, is calling from Boston with some thoughts on that. Hello, Michael. Hey, Ryan. How are you? Good, buddy. What's on your mind? Uh, first of all, uh, personal uh, note, much better. Hope- hopefully your bosses are noticing. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Um, I would like to see that whole uh, tweet from Adam Schefter because I know that a lot of the coaches hate the fact that there's not enough hitting, there's not enough padded practices, and they think that that's why the injuries are happening um, because there's not enough of it. Whereas you sort of made it sound that the tweet meant that they had to lighten up on it even more. I think it's that they wanted to go back to a little more where it used to be, where you, you know, could hit, had more padded practice, had more time in the facility, longer practices, and that gets the body ready for whatever it has to get ready to. I maybe you're right. Maybe I'm misinterpreting Michael. I guess just because maybe I'm just taking it too literally, just from the sense that like we saw like two, you know, with a Joe Burrow, a calf injury, Jalen Ramsey, a knee injury, like maybe that they were just worried that these guys not are out of shape, but like maybe are not in football shape as much as they want and want them in the facility more. But you could be right. I know plenty of coaches have talked about that and appreciate the call, buddy. Hopefully you're doing well. I mean, I, I think it's okay, again, sometimes just to admit injuries happen and live with it. Injuries do happen. It's a contact sport. I would probably agree with Michael that in the sense that if you want to limit injuries, kind of callousing the body by having more full, you know, full padded practices, live practices, sure. I... Fully understand we will see probably more training camp injuries, but hopefully that could cut down the amount of in-season injuries. I don't know exactly what you know context the head coach that texted Adam Schefter that the offseason needs to be shuffled if he meant less or more. Um, but either way, I think sometimes, especially with injuries, they happen, and I don't think there's a real easy way to prevent them. All right. 
Even though Zach is not here, as you know very well by now, the show remains the same, so it's time for a news brief. Time for your daily news brief. We get you caught up on the rumors, reports, and reconnaissance from the day in sports. Jim Harbaugh, not official yet, is facing a four-game suspension from the NCAA in part for lying about violations that he did commit. It was Big Ten Media Day today. Jim Harbaugh was facing the media. Here's what he had to say about that upcoming suspension. No matter how you frame the question, I mean, I can't. Out of liberty? Unable? Unable to? Talk about any aspect not shocking. It's still up in, you know, it's still by reports being negotiated. It has to be approved by the NCA. So I'm sure it's not going to say anything that maybe has them rethink the severity of the suspension. Here's what I'll say. The charges against Jim Harbaugh for illegal contact during a dead period and having coaches watch players work out over Zoom when they're not supposed to and allegedly buying hamburgers for players when he wasn't supposed to. They're all petty They're all stupid. They all, to me, don't have an impact on winning whatsoever. With that said, Jim Harbaugh is an idiot. You cannot lie about what are very minor violations. The NCAA is pathetic. I hate that organization. It is by far the worst organization on this planet, without a doubt. And I know there are plenty of you listening that would take exception to whatever other organizations out there because there are plenty of bad ones. Don't get me wrong. NCAA, though, is at the top of the list. And in large part is because of their stupidity when it comes to rules that don't actually matter whatsoever. And so when it comes to patrolling and now kind of cracking down on Jim Harbaugh, these rules are stupid what he's being uh, accused of. But the NCAA, the one thing they are actually powerful in is when you lie to them. When you deceit them. And Jim Harbaugh should have known better, did know better. He was better off acknowledging, yeah, I committed all those infractions. He, I think, I don't even think he would have got suspended, personally. But because he lied, and now he lied to the NCAA's face, they said, oh, you want to play that game? Now we're coming after you. He's an idiot. Jim Harbaugh has this four-game suspension coming, and it easily could have been avoided if you said the simple words, I did it. You got me. Instead, he lied, and here he is. I don't feel sympathy uh, uh, whatsoever from Jim Harbaugh. Also, not to mention, first four games don't matter anyway for Michigan. They're going to win 45-0 each game. East Carolina, UNLV. There's another one in there. I forget. It's Little Sisters of the Poor and Rutgers. Michigan will be fine. They don't need Harbaugh. But this was totally avoidable by Jim Harbaugh. His arrogance and saying, I didn't do it, you're not going to catch me, really did bite him in the butt here. All right, there's a lot of discussion about the Big Ten scheduling. Next year, they're going to go divisionless with USC and UCLA coming to town, and the top two teams that finish in the Big Ten are going to play in the Big Ten championship game. Ryan Day was asked at Big Ten Media Day if Michigan-Ohio State, always at the end of the season, should be moved because there's a chance starting next year now that they're not going to be in the same division – They could play the last game of the year, 
and then play again the following week in the Big Ten title game. Here's Ryan Day's thoughts on that. I think it's worth a long discussion about where that game should be should be placed. You know, I think if, if it was the same way as it was this past year, we'd be playing back-to-back games, and then who knows, maybe even playing again in the playoffs. So um, I just think that needs to be taken into consideration. Not that we should move it, but I think it's worth talking about. Strong assumption by Ryan Day that Michigan, Ohio State's going to be two best teams in the Big Ten every year. I think it's a whole lot to do about nothing, to be honest. I think they're putting the cart way before the horse and assuming that each and every year it's going to be Ohio State and Michigan is the two best teams uh, in the Big Ten, and that's now why they should move the game so you don't get a rematch. Even if in some years, I'm sure, inevitably that will happen, what's the big deal about a rematch? I think, if anything, it almost kind of makes that second matchup juicier. I don't think it has to, you know, should be really um, that... uh, Investigated or really should be that big of a deal. Speaking of a big deal, this is legit. Joe Burrow, unfortunately, got hurt today, pulled up lame uh, in practice with a calf injury. Here is Zach Taylor after practice talking about what he knew. So this is football. Guys go down with an injury that maybe is a day thing. Who knows? Um, so we, we don't we don't message the team after every single person goes down. There's, there's a lot of guys that had soreness today um, that have that reps cut down a little bit. So that's just part of playing football. That is the absolute right approach by Zach Taylor. Injuries happen. This is a freak injury where in the case that Joe Burrow is just leaving the pocket doing a normal scramble drill, pulls up lane with a right calf injury. Now, according to Diana Rossini, it looks as if the Bengals avoided disaster. According to her sources with the Bengals, Joe Burrow suffered a calf strain. Calf strain, nothing with the ACL, nothing with the Achilles. I've not seen a timetable out there yet, but just from being a fan and seeing players suffer calf strains and come back a month, six weeks at the most, which is right on time for week one to kick the season off. So a huge sigh of relief from the Bengals, a huge sigh of relief from everybody, because obviously the NFL is better when Joe Burrow is there. They're obviously on the short list of Super Bowl contenders. So it's great to see that so far it appears the Bengals truly avoided disaster And nothing more than a calf strain for Joe Burrow, which should still, with it not even being August yet, put him on track to be still ready for week number one. The Chargers, they paid Justin Herbert. They have a lot of attention on this year. It's a really rough AFC, but they got pressure to not only get back to the playoffs, win a playoff game. One of the coaches on the hottest seats in the NFL is Brandon Staley. He talked to Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports today about how the team overcomes the last game of the season. If you remember... Up 27-0 against the Jaguars. Lost that game in the playoffs. You know, I think, you know, you draw on examples. I went and spent some time with Steve Kerr in Golden State and, you know, Greg Popovich. And, you know, you take a look at all these other sports. And, um, you know, I think in some of the examples that, you know, I tried to go seek, you know, some wisdom from is, hey, the response was really, really big because they had the right group of guys. And that's where our focus is going to be. And, you know, this group is made up of the right stuff. And we just got to put in the right work in training camp. Good answer by... Brandon Staley, I don't think it's going to mean much. I don't think the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. Um, It's a really rough AFC. I know they just paid Justin Herbert, but I think the Browns are making the playoffs. I think the Broncos are making the playoffs. And the Dolphins are making the playoffs. Those are my three wildcard teams because we're going to assume, rightfully so, Chiefs are winning that division. Finally, this is tremendous. Joey Votto is not only a great baseball player, I think he's an even better personality. Hear him. This is high heat on MLB Network. He is interviewing with... Christopher Mad Dog Russo doing a Christopher Mad Dog Russo right to his face. Take a listen. 
couple yeah. of months ago, you said that Zach Greinke and I are a hall of very good ball players. I think Zach and I would agree. You may be right. But I get the gist of what's going on here. I know what you're doing. You're looking down on us. A couple small market Midwest ball players. Just because we're not big city, just like you. Mr. New York City, Sirius XM radio star. Mr. National Television, ESPN star. With your Fifth Avenue ties and your crisp pocket squares, your tailored suits and your polished shoes and your hair. Your perfectly coiffed Broadway hair. Must be nice to sit atop that Madison Avenue ivory tower looking down on us with those luscious locks. Not everyone can be the next Roger Peckinpah, Mad Dog. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're a disgrace. That is tremendous, and I cannot wait. I'm not rooting for Joey Votto's career to end. I like him. He's a fun player. The Reds are having a really fun year here. I hope they make the playoffs, and I think Joey deserves it. But let me tell you, I cannot wait for Joey Votto to join a broadcast booth, to join a network as a studio analyst, to be a TV personality, that is a star. He is an absolute star. You heard it right there in the minute uh, clip. Impersonating Mad Dog, kind of getting after him for his ESPN looks and his some of his takes. Joey Votto is a legitimate personality that is going to be 10 times a personality that he was a baseball player. He's a really good baseball player. When we return, should the Angels have traded Shoei Otani? We discuss this. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gale. 